All right. Welcome to Real Estate Hustlers Podcast. I am your host, Josh Appleman, founder and CEO of Appleman Properties. On this episode, we are talking to Caleb Johnson. Caleb began his uh, entrepreneurial journey at 18, and by the age of 25, he had amassed over $9 million of uh, of real estate. And uh, Caleb, we, we appreciate you coming on the show today. You've got a, um, a it sounds like a huge portfolio uh, at age 25. Can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. Yeah, Josh, thank you so much for having me. Um, the way I got started in, in real estate was because of my parents and not because they were wealthy by any means, but they were middle class and they had jobs. And so I say that it was because of my parents is because I saw the life that they had and I knew I didn't want that for myself. I saw my mom, my dad going to work and my mom not liking what she was doing, but having to go back day after day and uh, just to get money because she had no other streams of income coming in. And that really got exacerbated, Josh, when I was around 18 years old and my mom had surgery and she was out of work for three months. She was going to live off of her savings during that time. And at the end of three months, she had planned to go back to work, but she wasn't healed all the way. And so she had to make this tough decision about, do I take care of myself and let myself heal more? Or do I go back to work and uh, plan on retiring when I wanted to? Because she was around 60 years old at that time. And so she made the tough decision to go back to work. And I would honestly see her come home just in tears because she was crying from pain. And that killed me. It, it again, made me realize I didn't want that for myself. And secondly, I wanted to aid her financially, uh, retire on time, retire early. So that was my big why for starting off. And I acquired my first property when I was 20. And I've been investing uh, for a total of six years now. That's huge. And um, the fact that you just uh, your mother became your biggest inspiration, uh, in a sense, because you see what the future holds uh, if you don't make changes. And in real estate, you, you get the, of course, the benefit of passive income. You get appreciation, you get your depreciation or taxes. Um, but you can also cash out, have have a transactional event if uh, if and when that time comes and um, uh, dispose your assets. And then you the journey continues. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I totally get it. So you, you went over how you got started. How did your first deal come about? Tell us about that. So my first deal, uh, I like talking about two of them because my first deal, I had one in residential and then one in commercial, and they were both pivotal times in my life. So the first deal was a house hack where I lived in one unit. I rented out the other three. And again, I bought that when I was 20 years old. And that was a great starter property for me because it required a low cost of capital, about ten dollars to $15,000. And after about six months, this thing was uh, generating about $1,200 a month of cash flow in my pocket. And it taught me a lot. You know, it taught me that I'm not a, a, I'm not a handyman. I, I don't do that. I can underwrite and I can talk to people, but swinging a hammer, painting, it's just not my forte and I really don't enjoy it. So uh, I learned that. And then with the commercial property, my first property was a 16 unit uh, apartment in Oklahoma. And the way I found that, Josh, was I went on Crexie and LoopNet and I knew I wanted to get in this commercial space. So my plan was to make a spreadsheet of all the broker's contact information that was on LoopNet and Crexie. 
even if it wasn't the same property that I wanted, I wanted their information because I'm sure they knew an owner that might want to sell. And so that was my strategy going into that market. And I wrote down all their information and I called them up one at a time. And after a couple months of doing that, I had a, call, a conversation with this broker and she knew a seller who tried to sell a couple of years ago. It just didn't pan out. Long story short, uh, the numbers looked great and the property was in distress. The out-of-state seller kind of, you know, everything that it uh, took to, to make a good deal. And uh, we closed on that property probably after uh, 60 days of going under contract. Nice. So uh, going back to your, your first, your, your house, house flip, the house flip, correct? Uh, house hack. House hack. Okay. And it was generating $1,200 a month. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us how, how was it generating $1,200 a month? Was it the other tenants put in place? Was it uh, some other value add components? Mm-hmm. So when I bought the property, rents were probably, let's just say $500, for example. Um, and I, my plan was to go in there, renovate them, and increase the rents to what market was based on the level of finishings I put into that unit. And so now let's just say rents were $800 or $900. And so I did that two times, and that's what helped generate that $1,200 of monthly income. Okay, so this was a duplex, and uh, you lived in one side, and then you had your tenant in the other side. Uh, it was a fourplex, so a fourplex. there was. Okay. I was living in one unit, and then three tenants. Got it. Nice, nice. And then after debt service, after expenses, you're cash flowing, and uh, essentially it's infinite return thereafter. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's right. Got it. I like it. And then 16 units. Uh, you found it distressed. You um you looked at the uh, what kind of value you could put into the deal as far as renovating it the the existing rents and then how far the rents could be pushed. That's right. Got that under contract. How long did it take you to close? Um, I think sixty to ninety days. Sixty to ninety days. Did you do a a bridge loan? Did you do a a community bank loan? How was community bank? And so we got eighteen months of interest only, and where nice. the lender would fund the capex seventy five percent of the cap uh, x, and uh, so then it's fixed debt, and we closed that early twenty twenty two. So great time to secure fixed low rate debt. And so now we, uh, our term on that is five years. So we, uh, we have some flexibility there. Nice. So are you all, you all are renovating the units and, and, um, getting the, uh, sometimes you got to get old tenants out. Sometimes they can flex with the, uh, the new upgrades and keep them if they're good. Uh, right. but are you, are you implementing the, the uh, business plan currently? Yeah. Yeah, we are. And it's, yeah, it's performing very well now. Perfect. Good deal. All right. So 16 units. And then what led you to your second deal? Um, the second deal that, uh, we bought, uh, I'll, I'll talk about on the commercial side was, uh, gosh, I think it was a 30 unit in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, uh, Josh, I did the same thing that I did in Oklahoma city that I did in New Mexico. So I went on LoopNet and Crexy, and those are free resources where all that information is right there and property listings. And so I wrote down on their information in this market, New Mexico, and called them up. And it actually took, this one was about six months. And after six months of having contact with this broker, and we tried to do a couple uh, offerings together and it just nothing penciled. But then he brought this opportunity to me and he said, hey, Caleb, this was, uh, let's say a Tuesday. He said, I just spoke with this seller and he has an LOI in hand 
from this one group, but he said, if I can give him another offer by Friday, then he would consider it. And so he knew that we were aggressive in that market and already owned something just a little bit south of that market. So he called us up and because we had that relationship, that's why he called me up. And so we underwrote that and moved very quickly to, to put an LOI together. And we actually got that accepted. Nice. That's, um, was that through a community bank, bridge loan? Uh, what, what kind of debt do you? And I ask what kind of debt because the, the listeners, I want them to pick up nuggets on how you're funding these things and, and ha- what, what that looks like just so that mm-hmm. they can pick up some steam. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's a fairly large institution. Um, and I don't know how large their company is, but we worked with a, a lender, a broker lender. And so we kind of shopped some rates with a, a handful of different groups. And the the debt we got there was actually uh, floating. And I don't remember the exact terms, maybe like two points over SOFR or, or something like that. Um, I might be off there, but uh, got that and they were willing to fund the CapEx as well. Nice. And, and brokers are, are an excellent way to go out and get debt for properties. They'll, uh, they'll shop it out to multiple banks and then you've, you've essentially have a platter of offers in front mm-hmm. of you that, that matches your, uh, your business plan. And uh, no, I totally agree. I like it. So on that project, how big was your CapEx budget? Oh gosh, that one, I think it was around $250,000. Okay. All right. Good deal. So it's a light cosmetic rehab and um, it sounds like everything was pretty much in place and uh, you're just going through and was it new flooring, paint, cabinetry, hardware? Yeah, our, our business plan was to renovate 15 of the 30 units and the parking lot. And besides that, a lot of it was, it was a great looking property, 1986 vintage, I think. And um, so it was, yeah, pretty light cosmetic. And we actually started, once we started renovating the property, we had originally projected, let's say six, $7,000 in interior renovation. And once we started renovating these things to the extent that we wanted, the, uh, the bill was 1400 or $14,000 per unit. And so that kind of, uh, that's a, a big increase double. So uh, that kind of changed our business plan so that now we're only doing make ready but the the market is such there that there's such a demand that we can just invest $1,200 into the renovation. And it's really just a make ready term, maybe carpet, maybe flooring here and there, uh, a little bit of paint. And we're still able to get what our original projections were. Got it. Nice. And I think that's, um, that's one thing that, that um, future operators can get stuck on is making, is looking at the shiny object. Uh, we do uh, we do granite countertops on all of our units. More of a strategy. Um, we procure the the labor and material, of course, uh, at a different cost than what would be out there on the market. But uh, we essentially we don't ever need to replace the countertop again. It's uh, the laminate countertops can uh, uh, they'll bubble after after time or they'll burn burn marks from the tenants uh, whether they're putting hot pans down or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, it, that we've seen that that is in and itself can push rents just by resident. Um, I'm not going to say satisfaction, but it's a, it's a shiny object in the, uh, the unit. So it helps lease it up. Plus it, uh, it offsets any future CapEx needed on the countertops. Mm-hmm. Wrap that up with Smart. Fresh, fresh coat of paint and um, yeah, paint all the, uh, the wood trim white, make it look uh, uh, up to date and it, it works. But um, uh, how are you managing your general contractors? Is that through third-party property management or are you all procuring labor on your own? 
So uh, it depends on the market. That's something I've learned um, over time is like in Oklahoma City, our property management company, they have uh, in-house contractors. And so they manage all of it. Now in Las Cruces, New Mexico, where we own uh, two assets, I'm really managing the GC. And so that goes, it's really just, hey, this is what we want. And now we know what, once you get that initial bid, and tell them what you want as a template in these units, then they can go out and say, okay, Caleb wants this and this and this. And this is usually what the price is going to spit out at is because we already got that initial bid. And so, and he'll say, this is going to take two to three weeks. It's like, okay, every week I might touch base, see where that, uh, that unit's going. And uh, then we'll pay him. We have a relationship with him uh, there in Crucis. So we'll pay him at the end uh, once the unit is complete. So there's no like 50-50 up front or anything like that. And then in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, our property management company uh, manages them. Got it. Okay. So is, I, I, is your property management company buying all the material up front and then scheduling or is it up to the contractor? That's a contractor. Okay. Got it. Good deal. Cool. And then um, asset management. What are your what are your techniques and approach towards managing and pushing, making sure that the uh, the property manager is doing what what you all want them to do performance wise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can be tricky sometimes, and I've learned it's really really important. Um, sometimes you have to manage the property management company, and we have weekly calls with our PMs uh, on all of our assets. And I have a, a list of questions that I'm happy to provide so that you can put them in the show notes. Uh, but it, it really, it starts with delinquency, occupancy, you know, what interior renovations are going on right now, uh, people that are moving in this week, people that are moving out, uh, renewals, what renewals are going on there, where the marketing is. So every week we want, uh, we track KPIs, key performance indicators on the traffic that we're receiving at the property, right? How many leads we get, how many applications we receive, how many showings, how many of those showings actually showed up, how many tours, and then how many leases were signed from those. Uh, and that helps us kind of see if we if we tweak something in our marketing strategy or renovate something at the property, like an exterior finish, and then we see a, an uptick in the marketing and the traffic, then that tells us we're doing something right. Or it can also tell us we're doing something wrong. So those are just a couple things uh, that we track. Nice. Yeah, Neil Bawoff, uh, he's got on his multifamily U, he's got a, uh, an excellent template for uh, tracking those KPIs on the uh, the inflow and the outflow of uh, yeah. of uh, leads. It's, uh, it, it is all about numbers. And if somebody knows that they're being um, overlooked with numbers and, and how those measure their performance, then it, uh, by nature, we all want to do better if we know our own numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. It's establishing that metric. Yeah. And we actually use Neil Bawa's, uh, uh, it's called Lassel, I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. the traffic count. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Oh, it's, um, and it's an excellent template. It's, um, mm-hmm. we, we've actually, we've expanded off of it because it's, um, it's huge for foundational and um, putting in a few other things that we feel like are important just to, uh, vertical off of, but it is, uh, it's huge. It gets you started. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see the markets going? So we've got a lot of turmoil. We've got the ups, the downs. It's um, you know, It'll give you whiplash. Where do you see the market going right now? Well, where we see the market going, this is uh, May of 2023. And uh, this whole beginning half of the year has been pretty, pretty silent. 
there's we've seen a 75% decline in transaction volume compared to 2022. So, uh, but I think there is some uh, opportunity on the horizon. And so the reason I say that is because uh, we saw a lot of people get into bridge financing and kind of uh, put, they gave themselves projections, lofty projections, let's say. And so they thought they were going to be able to refinance at a certain rate and get this bridge financing, which they could get at a great interest rate, let's say 3%, and they're going to hold that term for two years. And so they thought they could refinance and still have a low interest rate. But the market is such where things have slowed down, interest rates are higher. And so instead of a cash out refinance, it's going to be a cash in refinance. And they're either going to have to do a capital call and require their investors to inject more capital, or they're going to be forced to sell the property and the bank's going to take it. And so that's why, and a lot of the people that I'm talking to, like Rod Khalif, David Lindahl, they're all seeing the same thing. And so we're really looking forward to Q4 of 2023 and then 2024 to see a lot of these offerings coming available. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, we're seeing the same thing. I think it's a wait and hold. We're still underwriting. We're, uh, we've got a pipeline of, of deal inflow consistently every single day. Uh, we, we do still see uh, sellers' expectations uh, still within a five. To, to even low, well, not not even low six cap, but five range, and it's you go to negative leverage if you if you're wanting to purchase on a anything sub the the interest rate that you're buying into, but uh, the seller expectation needs to still match what the market is is uh, dictating, mm-hmm. um, which makes it tough. But I we we see opportunity on the uh, the third fourth quarter more of next year. Um, but in the interim, if a deal pencils, if it makes sense, we're we're definitely we're able and ready to to get it going. So it's uh, uh, still exciting times. Um, there's there's another question getting all the way back to your, the beginning of your uh, your journey. So you got in with no money and no resources. Uh, that's important for the listeners to hear because they're um, uh, w- when we start our investing journey, we're always trying to connect the dots. What what X equals zero? How did, how did you get in with no money and no resources? Mm-hmm. I think it starts with, you have to find, you have to know what you want. And also when you're starting off, what you can do, right? And so I knew I was a personable guy and I could have these conversations and network well. So I knew I needed a mentor and I found a mentor. And the the story is kind of funny about how we work together is he told me to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad six times. And then cash flow quadrant six times. And then I think we did that with a YouTube video too. So he wanted to vet me before investing time into me. And uh, I was willing to work for him for free. And I think that's also really important starting off is that you just, you see the value in this real estate game, right? You see there's millions to be made here if you do it right. And you, you have to be willing to give something up, uh, especially early on uh, and add value to others. So that's how I got started. And uh, I found the strategy that worked well for me and my goals at the time. At the time, I was 19, 20 years old, and I had been saving money. So I had maybe $15,000, $20,000 in the bank. And I could buy a fourplex, I found out, listening to free resources too, like Bigger Pockets and YouTube videos. And I was able to get down, uh, put a low down payment into a property, and it would generate income. 
And so for me, I think uh, doing that was perfect for kind of my situation. And I think that's where the listeners should start is with their goal. And then what, what can get them that goal with the circumstances they have? Yeah. Like an FHA three and a half percent down on a fourplex will get you in or even a VA loan, get in for free, three of the units cash flow. And uh, you just became uh, in the real estate game. Mm-hmm. If I could go back in time, I'd put my family into a uh, an eight unit if I could and uh, and start there. It's uh, But you don't it's never too late. And uh, you got to once you start your journey, you start your journey. But it's like hindsight. If I knew then what I knew now, now it's it'd be a totally different game. But um uh, yeah. The, the game is getting into it and then start uh, start compounding from there. The more you buy, the more you're worth, the more you're worth, the more you can buy. It, it's it's one equals another. And that's, that's the beauty of real estate. You're, the, the lenders want to see what your personal financial statement looks like. So if you've got real estate on there, then you can buy more and uh, it goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. And the, like you said, the more you do, the more experience you gain, the more you can add value down the road. And one thing I love about being an entrepreneur and in this real estate is that you can you can be flexible and right if you have a day job and you do it this certain way, the manager or the owner might not want to deviate from the route that they've always taken. So even if you see a better way that can generate more money, they wouldn't want to do it. But now that you own your own business, you and let's say you're 25 years old, you're still single, no kids, no wife. You can still, or no husband, you can still move into a, a fourplex and just, you, you can be very uh, strategic and just make it happen. And so it's just really about being creative. Yeah, no, without a doubt. So, uh, so is, is real estate your your full-time job managing over the assets? Do you have something else going? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah, no, this is my full-time job. And uh, I was blessed to leave my day job uh, in 2022 uh, summer. Nice. Perfect. And that's, um, and it'll just keep on growing. So what's the, what are other future goals that you have for real estate? What do those look like? Mm-hmm. Well, I forgot to mention, I do have a, a podcast. And so nice. I, I love doing that and having conversations with um, these influencers and uh, these people that have a, amazing and incredible stories. And so I see that growing in the future um, and also expanding in real estate. Uh, I just, I've, looked into the stock market. And I think that's a great asset class. Um, at the same time, it you just need to learn. It, it just requires some time to learn it. And so that's another six to 12 months that you might want to invest in learning swing trading or whatever that may be. So again, being an entrepreneur can give us the flexibility to look at different avenues. And so that's kind of on the business front. But for me in the future, you know, it's really more about um, what f- makes me full, what makes me happy. And money's one thing that I need, but it doesn't make me happy. What makes me happy is uh, investing time into others and especially at church and uh, volunteering with the youth and just seeing them grow and investing into relationships because that's the only thing we can take with us is the relationships that we have. And so uh, I want to be sure I'm doing that as well. Nice. Yeah. Relationships are everything in real estate. That is a fact. It's um, you get pocket deals. You can help others. You can uh, others can help rise you up. It's uh, others that have, have been there and done it and um, have the wisdom to, to help carry on. It's um, you know, relationships for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb, we, uh, we truly appreciate you coming on today. If somebody wants to reach out to you and learn more about yourself, how can they get a hold of you? 
They can find us uh, at our podcast, which is From Trial to Triumph, or they can visit uh, our website at redccapitalgroup.com. Nice. Awesome. I um, look forward to seeing your journey and uh, we will definitely talk soon. Okay. Thanks.